0: Because if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, if you're gonna be a disciple of Jesus, that really truly means that you're also a leader in following Jesus, that you make bold decisions in a direction that follows Jesus, and you encourage people to follow you in those bold decisions. The early church gathered together for worship and prayer. The early church expanded. Join Pastor Hook as we learn lessons the book of Acts as God grows his church. We are in our study in Acts and we are in chapter 2. We finished off with verse 24 and we talked about Peter standing in front of the crowd trying to prove, trying to explain that Jesus is the promised Messiah and he used a prophecy from Joel and then he continues on and uh, so let's just read Beginning of verse 25, uh, and see what ha- Peter has to say. So, this is uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. So, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So this is a, a psalm that David wrote. Uh, it is Psalm, let's see, it is Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Um, so obviously Peter knows the psalms pretty well because he can quote this by memory. Um, but what does he say about this psalm? Let's just, let's continue reading. Um God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the promised one from the from David, that Jesus would sit on David's throne. And of course, King David was the ultimate king of Israel. The highlight of Israel was King David. I guess you could say the, uh, the, the, the highest point in the idea of the united monarchy and the kingdom of Israel. You have the 12 tribes and they come to Jerusalem and they create this um, Jewish empire, if you want to say that, this Jewish nation. And David sits at the throne of this Jewish nation. And everybody, if you're Jewish, that the time of the, the best time of Judaism was when David was on the throne. But David spoke of a Messiah that was coming and his body would not see decay, that he would sit on the throne forever. And then Peter says, this person is David, is, is Jesus. And Jesus did not see decay. He was buried but he was rose again, but he rose again, so he is the promised one from this time. And all Peter's trying to do is to prove that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And uh, he does that by by pointing out that Jesus rose from the dead. The proof of the resurrection, the proof of the resurrection is that David is the one who will sit on the throne. Yeah. Jesus is the one who will sit on the throne of David forever. That's the proof. The proof is that he rose again. And the resurrection of Jesus is the quintessential proof that Jesus is the promised one from the Old Testament. It all, even Paul says, it all rests on the on the resurrection. If it's not for the resurrection, then it all kind of falls apart. And um, Jesus is a Wonderful teacher, a great prophet, a wonderful person to follow—all those things are good and true, but it's the resurrection that links him then to the throne of David and the promised fulfillment of God, of a someone who will sit on the throne of David forever. That one is Jesus. Um, you can hitch your you can hitch your life to. I was talking about this um, to someone recently that. For me, Jesus is, is everything. He's not only a, um, a great moral teacher and a great prophet and a great link to God, but he is God. He's the, he's the one, if you're going to hitch your pony to anybody, you know that, that uh, Jesus is the one to hitch to. There are many, many people out there with lots of good advice. There's many people out there who have great moral lives there's great people out there that have done awesome things in this world all of those things are true and Jesus you could say that as true of Jesus also but only Jesus is the one that raised himself from there was raised from the dead only Jesus is the one and so because of that there's just so much more that you can say about god you can say that god is loving that god will raise all of us on the last day that um that all the things that jesus talked about are true and um, we should follow him it's it's hard to follow somebody who has been dead for 500 years or 1000 years and nobody really i mean he so he had some great moral teachings uh, you you know how uh, Aristotle or, or Seneca or all these great you know philosophers, yeah, you can listen to their philosophy and incorporate a portion of their philosophy. But none of them were raised from the dead. Only Jesus was raised from the dead. And so when you, when you are the one that's raised from the dead, you uh, have a little bit more moral authority on what you say and what you do and how you live your life and the church that you start and all that stuff. The resurrection is central to everything. And that's what Peter's pointing out, that Jesus is the promised Messiah because he was raised from the dead. But he goes on, verse 34. Uh, Let's see if we can find verse 34 here. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Lord, and Messiah. So there you have it. Uh, Peter lays out a case from uh prophecy of Joel, two psalms, that Jesus is the promised Messiah and that he will be sitting with God at his right hand forever. Uh, he's the one. And the proof of that is the resurrection. Now, if you are, if you were living in Jerusalem, you were Jewish and you saw Jesus, you'd have been excited about all the miracles. Uh, because the prophets did miracles too. remember some of the prophets uh, you know the lamp that, that went for a long time or the oil that uh, didn't you know the 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 oil that didn't run dry. I mean there's there's miracles in the Old Testament from these prophets. And so having Jesus as a prophet would not have been difficult for these people and they would have uh, they would have flocked to Jesus if all he was was a prophet. but Jesus said, I'm more than a prophet. I am the right hand of God. I am the promised Messiah. I am the one, and uh, and that is the reason why they killed him, because Jesus said that he was from God. He is God, um, and that's why that's why they killed him. But whenever you have a battle between a convicted prisoner, uh, how do I say this? There's a prophet that claims he's God. And then there's the whole entire Jewish establishment, and only one of them can be true, right? The Jewish establishment says, well, we're we're true, and we're going to kill Jesus, and we'll be done with it. But Jesus says, no, I'm true. You're going to kill me, but then I'm going to be raised from the dead in three days. So once Jesus was raised from the dead and all the people saw him, the question of who was right, the Jewish leaders at the time in Jerusalem, or Jesus, was answered. The resurrection answered that question. Jesus was the promised Messiah. He was the one. Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In other words, this is the one you should have hitched your pony to. And uh, so all the people that were yelling, crucify him, who are now curious about this outpouring of the spirit on Pentecost, and they're listening to Peter, what happens when Peter says, the guy that you killed, he was actually God. The Jewish leaders at the time, they were wrong. Uh, that must have been uh, just completely shaken you to the heart. I mean, shaken to the heart. Um, I'm trying to think of a modern day example of where a crowd think was all wrong, but it uh, turned out that they were all wrong and the one one person standing alone in the crowd was the one that was right. Um, I guess you could say maybe the people that said that the planets all revolve around, was that Kepler who said the planets all revolve around the sun and the earth isn't the center of the universe and the sun really isn't even the center of the universe, but all the planets, I mean, all of these mind-breaking things and uh, whenever you say something that goes against the established thinking, the established thinking wants to put you to death. And uh, if they put you to death, then you're then you're pretty much dead, and uh, you you don't win the battle. Although your thoughts and your ideas might win the battle later, the the people who are in charge won't win the battle. Uh, I mean, the people who were in charge will win the battle. The person who's dead lost the battle. But in this case, Jesus didn't lose the battle because even though they killed him and they thought where they were done with him, Jesus rose from the dead. Um. And that was the proof that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. So what do the people do? This is fascinating. Uh, Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is whenever, whenever the truth is revealed to you, that goes against the thinking that you've always had, you always must stop and say, okay, what do I do now? If this is truth, then what do I do with this truth? Um, And as I've said, I don't know if I've said it in this, but I say it a lot, is that we as Christians should be pursuers of truth wherever the truth takes us. And once we learn the truth, we should always stop and say, okay, this is now the truth. What does this mean for me? What should I do with this truth? The people heard the truth about Jesus, and so they asked, what is the truth? And Peter gives a reply. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all for who are far off, and for all whom our Lord God will call. So Peter says, okay, you want to follow Jesus? You want to follow this truth that Jesus is truly the, the promised Messiah, the one who's sitting at the right hand of God, that he is the guy? You want to follow this, Jesus? Here's how you do it. And remember, this is early on. This is, I mean, they, they didn't have a confab and say, uh, what what uh, the apostles didn't get together. Okay, okay. Now what do we do? They want to follow Jesus. What does that mean? How does a person indicate that they want to follow Jesus? What does this look like? Um, Jesus. Uh, Peter said immediately, repent and be baptized. You have. There's two things that are required. Uh, one is that repent, and this is metanoia, which means all right, stop thinking your old way. And stop thinking the new way. Meta means change. Noeta noas means your mind. Change your mind. Think about think about Jesus in a different way. That's what Peter's talking about. This Jesus, you need to now learn all the stories of Jesus, and you need to basically pattern your life after Jesus and start living the way of life that Jesus taught, uh, which has a whole bunch of stuff behind it. And then you need to be baptized. This was an early, early thing, and even then, Peter said, "Be baptized." Um, and and he's not saying, "Okay, let's uh, let's do a ten-week series on the purpose of Jesus and how he lived his life and how you're going to follow Jesus." No, Peter. Peter just says, "Be baptized." Like there is no requirement. Uh, for an educational level to be baptized, according to Peter, you can be baptized immediately. You want to follow Jesus, you want to be in the kingdom, be baptized. As soon as you're baptized, you're in the kingdom, you're a follower of Jesus, all the things will come to you. Um, there, there is a tendency in many churches, and probably ours too, that we don't want to baptize anybody until they've learned all the things all the truths about Jesus, <laughs> that, um, that we're going to create a curriculum and tell you what it is you need to learn to be a follower of Jesus. And then we're going to teach it to you. And then we're going to test you on it. And then once you've learned it, then we'll baptize you. Peter didn't do that. Peter's like, come on, be baptized. It's kind of the difference between, I suppose, the army and the police force. In the army, uh, you know, you get conscripted into the army. They give you, uh, you know, boots and, a, and, a, and clothes and a gun, and then they train you and they'll take anybody in the army, right? The, you, you go and join the army and you are pretty much in the army. We'll, we'll teach you what you need to learn in the army. Now, the police academy is different. In the police academy, uh, you have to go through the police academy and then you have to take all these tests and you have to learn how to shoot and firearms and all that sort of thing. And then once you've graduated from the police academy, then they'll give you a gun to go fight the war. And um, the question is, which is a better way to do it? And, you know, Jesus didn't necessarily say it had to be one way or the other, uh, obviously, because we baptize kids. Um, we believe more in the army. It's like, let's get them on the front line, let's baptize them, let's bring them into the kingdom, and then let's teach them what it is they need to learn uh, in the kingdom. Whereas others are like, no, let's let's teach them first and make sure they understand everything and then we'll baptize them. And And I can kind of see both of these things. But if you look at the very, very first baptism in the book of Acts, the very, very first one, there wasn't a lot of training that happened. It was just basically, okay, you want to be a follower of Jesus? Here, come be baptized, and this promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord will God will call. Now, is this children? Is this a metaphorical Peter? This is Peter saying, okay, this is for. Um, this is for your children when they get old enough and then they can follow Jesus and, and this is your great-grandchildren and all that? Or was Peter literally talking about your children, the, the children that you have with you right now? Um, uh, the, and that is, a, that is a very, very good question. Um, it doesn't really say, I was going to say, uh, he said, repent, be baptized, the promise for you. Uh, let me read. Just continue reading. Verse forty, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, "Save yourselves from this corrupt generation." Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to the number that day. So there was definitely three thousand people who were baptized that day, um, and they accepted the message. Now the question is, was it just, was it just the people in the crowd that um, were listening to Peter, or did the, were other people baptized? Like spouses, slaves, children, and all that sort of thing, it doesn't say. And so, uh, this isn't necessarily a great proof text, as it is for for um, for infant baptism or what they call pedo baptism. But let me let me just just pause here and talk about that for just a bit. Um, imagine that you are a Jewish person. And remember, we're moving from this idea of tribalism to individualism. In the Jewish faith, your tribe, your, your spouses, your slaves, your children, all that, everybody in your family, and you were the head of the household of that family, if you were circumcised, if you're a male and you're circumcised, that meant that everybody in your tribe was saved. Um, so if you have that mindset and now you're here listening to the words of Jesus. Well, if you decide to become a follower of Jesus and you become baptized and you say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, that means that pretty much everybody in your household is going to be a follower of Jesus too and will be saved in in um, uh, under the umbrella of you. This is how it works. Um, this is how the Jewish faith propagated the faith. And so... If if there are men here, 3,000 men, and they, they're cut to the heart and they decide to be baptized, they repent and believe and be baptized, then they're going to do that. Uh, and then they're going to go home to their spouse and say, I know we were Jewish at one point, but now we're changing and we're now Christian. We're now followers of Jesus. And, um, you, you know, it's hard for us to understand because we live in modern 20th day America but back then if you were the head of household and you said we're going off to war we you know the whole household went off to war if they said we're moving then m- we're moving uh, if um whatever the head of the household said that person was uh blindly followed i mean just not blindly just absolutely followed by everybody in that household that's the way it worked back then um the, the the head of the household is the one that made all the decisions i like this model a lot i like the head of the household model and and i'll give you the reason why the head of the household model teaches leadership at a very deep level because leadership is making a decision sticking by that decision and then doing that decision even when it impacts everybody else in the in the group and um, today we don't really teach leadership very well. We teach more um, committees and communities, and um, you know, if there's a if there's a family decision, um, then you know you bring the family and you listen to everybody and all that and all that. But um, oftentimes um, families work by committee and that doesn't necessarily i mean it's not a bad way to do it but i love the leadership model i love this because what you're doing is you're creating leaders these people these men the uh, who were th- the 3000 were added to their number that day these people then went home in a leadership fashion and and led their families uh, into following jesus that is a great model and i i don't see a lot of leadership today. We don't teach a lot of leadership today, which is unfortunate, because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, that really truly means that you're also a leader in following Jesus. That you make bold decisions in a direction that follows Jesus, and you encourage people to follow you in those bold decisions. Um, that's that's what this is. So. And it says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So at some level, baptism is also um, a salvific thing. Um, now, <laughs> there's a question as to you know what happens at baptism. Uh, one of the questions that people always ask is, does baptism save you or not? And um, according to Peter, just at first reading, he says, save yourselves. You know, repent and be baptized. This will save you. Um, And so at some level, baptism does have a salvific component. Salvific is a fancy word. means that there's some element of saving you. But, But I look at it this way. If before baptism, you're not in the kingdom of God, but then as baptism, you are at the kingdom of God, then that means that you have all rights and privileges that come to you from being in the kingdom of God. That means... The Holy Spirit comes into your life. It means that you get a new direction from your life. It means you're going to follow Jesus. It means your whole life is going to change from one of not being in the kingdom to one being in the kingdom. All of these rights and privileges come to you uh, as being a a kingdom of God. Does that mean that you are saved? Well, and you have to remember that the word saved, um, other than the context here, and we'll see the other context in Acts, doesn't really, you know... We say today, I accepted Jesus in my life and now I'm saved. Um, it means I'm going to be with him in forever. Um, you know, all of these things. Um, we we This language is a more recent language than it was back at the time of Peter. Uh, when Peter talks about being saved, he's talking about a whole life saved. Like in this generation, on this earth, you're going to be saved and you're going to live with God forever in the kingdom and you're going to be saved. Like your whole life is going to be transformed that is a, a, a salvation it's a it's a movement away from the sin of adam into a redemption from the sin of adam and living with christ forever so um so that's what they did they accepted his message and they were baptized about 3000 added to the number so it grew cr- one one sermon and 3000 people um i'd like to see billy Graham you know beat that odds but he probably did But Billy Graham was in a stadium with music and dancing and singing hymns and churches. And I mean, it was an established religion. The fact that Peter is able to preach this and 3000 people were baptized is an amazing thing. Peter really, really, really uh, knocked this one out of the ballpark, which is kind of one of the reasons why I like him as a disciple. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, uh, thank you for today. Um, Continue to work in our lives. Um, Help us to know how firmly we are established in your kingdom. Uh, Be with us until we meet again in Jesus' name.